Um, so the reading today is from Psalm 90. I'll give you a moment to find that on your Bibles or your phone. I think it also appears behind me, so don't worry if you haven't got it. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are a day like, or are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. So, as I think has been mentioned, this is the last in our series uh, from the book of Psalms uh, during this month of August. And we're going to be moving on to a new series from Colossians in September in our evening services. Uh, So, the title for our talk this evening is The Heart of Wisdom the heart of wisdom, and hopefully you'll see why that is in just a moment. But why don't I pray as we get started. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a speaking God, that you speak to each of us uh, through your word in the Bible. Uh, We pray that you'd help us to understand it, and that we would develop a bigger vision of who you are, and a better understanding of how we can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this, this psalm is in the form of a prayer uh, that was written by Moses during the time of exile. And at this time, uh, we know that his readers needed reassurance that their service of God had a purpose. So Psalm 90 uh, presents the greatness of God and his eternal nature contrasted with mankind's weakness and mortality. So we are all mortal Or to put it another way, we all have a shelf life, as Sam uh, showed us just now. So we're all mortal. Each of us is dying. And without a right view of these things, we can be tempted to live in a fantasy world. Now, it may be like me, uh, you've been busy over the last couple of weeks setting up your fantasy league team for the new football season. And it can be quite attractive to live in a fantasy world, can't it? So in that particular case... Uh, spending imaginary millions of pounds on expensive football players in the hope that they might earn you uh, some points uh, and get yourself up the league table. 
and perhaps in the vain hope of defeating the one and only Dan Hawkins, who I believe is the legend in this area. His fantasy team, did you know, is called Bayer Never Losen. I think that's a, a touch of arrogance there, but he's clearly the one to beat. However, if we live in a fantasy world, uh, we're tempted to value things that are created and that actually are worthless in an, in an eternal sense. Uh, we're tempted to value money or possessions more highly than we ought. If we live in a fantasy world, we're tempted to have an inflated or wrong view of ourselves. So we do need to face up to the inescapable reality that we are mortal, that we have a shelf life, we are dying. The Bible says that we would be wise to wake up to this fact. So the story is told, you may have heard of it, of King Louis XIV of France, who was known as the Sun King. His court was opulent. It had loads of riches and amazing things. And he liked to demonstrate his great power to everybody in France. And leading up to his death in 1715, he ordered that his funeral in the Cathedral of Notre Dame, that you can see the picture of there, you might remember it a few years back when it was in flames, in that cathedral, this big, grand, Gothic cathedral, it was to be in complete darkness during his funeral, except for one candle that was to burn above his golden coffin, as if to demonstrate how great he was. And at the start of the service, very boldly, the preacher, called Massillon, walked over to the coffin, snuffed out the candle, and began his address by saying, only God is great. Death forces us to face up to a reality. In verse 12 of our psalm, we read, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we're going to look at three aspects of God's nature revealed in this psalm, each of which will show us something about ourselves as well, to help us gain that heart of wisdom and give us a sense of purpose in our service of God. So first of all, God's eternity in verses 2 to 6, God's judgment in verses 7 to 12, and finally God's mercy in verse 1 and then verses 13 to 17. So first of all, we'll look at God's eternity. Have a look with me at verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You might know that song, from everlasting to everlasting. I'm not going to sing it to you. But it sticks in your mind, because it says something about God. And to paint a picture of this, Moses uses the phrase, before the mountains were born. So when something's very old, we sometimes refer to it as old as the hills. Mountains are seen as immovable objects that have stood the test of time. But it is God who put them there. It is God who brought forth the whole world. He is the magnificent, awesome creator God who is eternal. A thousand years, it says in verse 4, are like a day that has just gone by. God is eternal and sees things from a very different perspective to us. Now, in our house, uh, we've very much enjoyed uh, watching the Olympics over the last few weeks. I expect many of you have too. And we've admired the incredible exploits 
of Team GB's athletes. athletes. And one of the most extraordinary members of the team, I think you'll agree, was Adam Peaty. You may have seen his name in the headlines, like this one, as someone seeking or even attaining to sporting immortality. I guess we, we know what they mean, don't we, the headline writers? You know, that his achievements are so amazing that he'll never be forgotten. But in reality, Adam Peaty, for all his amazing strength and skill, is not immortal. He is mortal. He will still die. In the future, he may well get ill. He will age, and those bold tattoos on his arms will look very different on wrinkly skin. God is immortal, but we are mortal. Or in other words, as this passage puts it, we are dust. If you have a look at verse 3, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. So verse 3 is a reference back to Genesis, and we read in Genesis chapter 3, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. We are dust. Compared to God's eternal nature, our lives are so brief. And verses 5 and 6 illustrate just how temporary our lives are. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. And that illustration is perhaps particularly relevant in a Middle Eastern climate where the grass springs up and then the the sun beats down and it withers away. But I like to think of it more like blackberries. The blackberry season is almost upon us. And and we very much enjoy the blackberry season in our house. And particularly when uh, the boys were younger, we used to go out with the three boys and a dog and try and pick blackberries and see how many we could come back with. And the result inevitably looked something like this. You see, blackberries spring up and then they're gone in a few weeks. And before you know it, they're withered and they're no good for eating anymore. And in the same way, when you consider the eternal nature of God, our lives are fleeting, here today and gone tomorrow. So why? Why are our lives brought to an end like this? Is it normal? Is it natural? Well, in one sense, it is, isn't it? It's normal. Everyone dies. However, it's not actually part of God's good design. It is instead as a result of our sin. And so that brings me to our second point, God's judgment in verses 7 to 12. If you look at verse 7, it says, We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. We are brought to an end by God's anger, God's righteous, settled anger at our sin. And there is no sin that escapes his judgment. His light, verse 8, shines on all our sin. However, as Derek Kidner, this chap who's written a commentary on on Psalms, uh, has put it, the setting of these verses is the fall where man rebelled against God which reveals death as our sentence, not as our intended lot. Now, that's a bit of a um, a, a, a lot to get your head around uh, in one sentence. But essentially, it's saying that death is as a result of our sin. It's not the way that God had designed things to be. 
Now, it strikes me that pretty much everyone accepts and recognizes the inevitability of death itself. And most recognize that there will be struggles and trials along the way. But I wonder, to what extent do we see one thing as the consequence of the other? To what extent do we recognize that our dying and our death is a consequence of our sin? Verse 11 says, Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. The reality is that all of life, to some extent, is overshadowed by our impending death because we're sinners living in a world of sin. So all of this, up to this point, paints quite a bleak and hopeless picture, doesn't it? And maybe if you were listening to Hannah uh, read the passage and you got about halfway through, you might have been feeling a bit like that. But the good news is that the, the verses we've not yet looked at put a very different twist on things. It is absolutely right that we should take some time to understand our mortality and our weakness, contrasted with God's eternal eternity and his great greatness and great judgment of sin. Because a foolish heart lives as if we are immortal, ignoring God and living in a fantasy world. But a wise heart remembers every day that we are here today and gone tomorrow because of our sin. As we learn to number our days, to consider our mortality and God's eternity, we gain a heart of wisdom. We put things in their right perspective. And what is more, we can acknowledge and appreciate all the more God's incredible mercy. So that brings us to our third point, God's mercy. If we look at verse 13, Moses says, Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. And he's also said in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So Moses knows who to look, for, look to for help. He pleads for mercy. Now, with the benefit of New Testament viewpoint, we are very thankful, aren't we, to live beyond Jesus' time. We know that that prayer of Moses to ask for compassion has been answered. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, we hear this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he's made a promise that he will have compassion. He will fulfill his promises and he doesn't want us to perish. But how does he do this? Well, Jesus, God's son, who was dust just like us, who was born as a human being, who felt hunger and thirst and sadness and joy just like us, who was fully human and yet fully man, uh, fully God. He died on a cross. He passed away under God's wrath, uh, in the words of this psalm. Not because of his own sin, but because of ours. 
But the eternal God raised him to new life so that he could live forever. And the wonderful truth of the gospel is that this is the offer that's made to us too if we choose to trust in him. Death is not the end. It is the door to a new life. And nowhere is this put more plainly than Romans 8, chapter 1, where we hear, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is wonderful news, isn't it, for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus. We're no longer condemned. We no longer need to live in the shadow of death. For there is a life beyond death. And you can see that in these verses here. Have a look at verse 9 where it says, all our days pass away under your wrath. And then verse 14, where the same phrase is used, we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. So in verse 9, we're passing away under God's wrath. In other words, what we deserve because of our sin. And then in verse 14, all our days we're rejoicing and being glad. In other words, what we get because of God's mercy. And then Moses goes on to pray in verse 15 that God would make us glad for as many days as he's afflicted us. But of course, we know that this request has not just been answered, but surpassed. Of course, we do have to live in the rest of this life with the fact that our bodies are subject to decay. We will get ill and we will die. But we can look forward to a wonderful eternity with God. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When in the light of the mercy that God has so kindly shown us, there are three things that I think this psalm encourages us to pray. So firstly, verse 12, we can ask God to teach us. These things that we've been talking about are not easy lessons to learn. It takes humility to number our days and to seek God's wisdom rather than asserting our own strength. So we can ask God to continue to teach us. Secondly, we can ask God to satisfy us in verse 14. We can know great satisfaction and enjoyment in knowing God's unfailing love. His love is a constant in all circumstances if we're following him. One of our boys uh, regularly prays at our family prayer time in the evening. Thank you, Lord, that you love us in everything we do. Now, I think he knows that God doesn't love everything we do. But he does love us in everything we do. He knows that God, um, in all situations, at all times, will never stop loving us. And we can take great satisfaction from that. And thirdly, uh, we pray that that God would establish us. Now that's a slightly um, strange way of putting things. So I've put it slightly differently here. That God would give us purpose. So in verse 17, it says, 
May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So if life sometimes can feel, feel futile or meaningless, purposeless, we should trust that God is, is, is on our side, that our work for God is not in vain. And just as he's able to demonstrate his own might and his own splendor, he's also able to bring results from our humble efforts. He gives significance to what we do when we do it for him and not for ourselves. So we can have a meaningful, purposeful life in service of God. And our work can have an enduring impact. And I believe that's, that includes work in church, but it also includes the work that we might do at school or college or on our jobs. We're asked, aren't we, in the Bible, to work as if working for the Lord. And he can establish those efforts. He can make them have an enduring impact if we're working with the right motives for God's glory. So to summarize, this world cannot satisfy. It never will. But if we come to God for mercy, there is hope, joy, meaning, and satisfaction that we can know in this life and much, much more in eternity. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you very, very much that you are an eternal, immortal God. Thank you that you are so great and we can look to you in awe. Thank you for teaching us that we are mortal and that we depend on you. We pray, Lord, that you continue to teach us these things that you'd help us to learn to find our satisfaction in you and your incredible love. And please, would you help us to look to you in our work, in our study, and in all that we do, that we would do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of really good questions coming through, so what we're going to do is kind of uh, split them into chunks on similar themes, and hopefully we'll be able to answer uh, most of them. Um, so, Rupert, firstly, um, got a couple of questions about kind of lifespan, uh, which is touched on quite a lot in the psalm. So, um, particularly for those of us who are younger, how do we avoid the risk of presuming our life lifespan will be 70 or 80 years, maybe put off doing what we know God wants us to do because mm. we think we have time? Um, and similarly, there's a question that, um, has that always said 70 or 80 years in the text, or has that been changed over time, uh, given that lifespans have possibly increased since uh, the Bible was written? Yeah, thank you. So I think I'll do the, the, first, the, the second one first, if that's all right. So, um, so um, I'm just trying to find which actual verse it was. Verse 10. Verse 10, thank you, yeah. Um, so um, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. So I think, I, I think probably the way we interpret that is that you know, this was written in a certain historical context and at that time you know, 70 years would be a good life and 80 years would be a really good life. Um, but um, I think due to sort of medical advances, you know, often the, the average age uh, lifespan is, is longer. Um, 
but it's, but it's not always, and we can't take that for granted. So, so I think um, in terms of the length of, of, of what we can expect, I don't think we need to interpret that one literally. Um, but in terms of the second one, um, so that's a really good point, isn't it? You know, do, I, I, I think um, when it comes to thinking about how we live, uh, we, we probably should be taking the view, shouldn't we, that um, you know, Jesus could return at any point. Um, and you know the Bible teaches us to be to be ready because you know that, that's that story, isn't it, of coming like a thief in the night? You know, and and I think um, it's right that um, rather than assuming that we might um, you know have a bit of fun now and then come back to God later in life, um, we're far better off actually remembering that God wants the best for us. He wants the best possible life for us, and seizing that opportunity now to live for Him now. Um, you know, because we don't know when he will return. That's great. Thank you. So the next question is, um, you said in passing we shouldn't hold earthly things too high as they, um, oh, that's moved, um, as they're not brought into heaven. Does that extend to earthly relationships and friendships as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. Thank you to whoever um, uh, asked that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, we... We, we mustn't be tempted to separate um, uh, godly things and earthly things too much because actually God is the good creator God who made good things in this earth. And so, you know, we can enjoy God-given things and we should enjoy God-given things uh, in the here and now. Um, and, uh, but I think it's about the lens through which we see it. So what perspective do we have on it? You know, is it, is it, is it, if we're tempted to say, well, these things are for my enjoyment and these things are for my relationship with God. But actually, God created a world that we can enjoy, but as part of a relationship with God. And I think relationships with other people is part of that. So God wants us to have good relationships with other people and to enjoy good relationships with other people. Um, But I guess, coming back to what I said earlier, that God wants good things for us. And, um, you know, so therefore it's worth listening to what he has to say about relationships um, and listening to what is wise uh, for us as Christians in our relationships. Uh, Because if we do that, we will be seeking things that are genuinely for our long-term good. Thank you. Um, And then finally, we've got two questions about um, sort of satisfaction now and satisfaction in eternity. So firstly, if we are to focus on our future eternity with God... Does that mean that we can't try and enjoy life on this earth? Um, and sort of why or why not? And secondly, um, you say we can have satisfaction, but how do we continue when that satisfaction seems so far away? Uh, sometimes it feels like we can only have that in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, good. So I think the first question, I've probably answered a bit of that already, but do come and find me afterwards if you want to explore it further. And I have, I've, I've misinterpreted it. But, but the second thing, I think... Um, because, because we talk rightly about how fantastic heaven's going to be, about how wonderful the new creation is going to be when there is no sin and no crying and no mourning and uh, no death, um, you know, sometimes we can be tempted to think, well, you know, we're just watching time until we get to that point. Um, but actually, I think um, that, that that last little bit, that verse 17, where it talks about establishing the work of our hands, reminds us about 
actually, we've got work to get on with here while we're, while we're, we're living. And yes, that we know that because of sin, because we're in a fallen world, we're going to have frustrations. We're going to have challenges. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be you know, people who will die around us or illness that we have to cope with. And you know, the last 18 months has taught us that more than any, perhaps. Um, but actually, we don't have to wait for, for, for heaven, for everything that is good, because God has created good things in this world, and not least the opportunity to have a relationship with him. And so we don't yet have that perfect relationship, but we have this wonderful promise, and we are able to enjoy a relationship with God. And that's where the Bible says we can get the greatest satisfaction. That's great. Thank you so much, Rupert. Um, that's been really, really helpful, really Thank insightful. You. Thank you.